There's a um, there's a preacher. He recently retired. He was serving in a, a church in New York City. Um, his name is Tim Keller. He's written a lot of books, and one of the things one, one of the one of the things he said to other preachers is he said, "Your first two hundred sermons aren't going to be very good." Now, <laughs> he didn't say anything about the ones after that. So, um, so I, I figured out that I have probably preached about. Um, 750 or 800 sermons during my my uh, career as a pastor, and um, uh, I'm sure that in addition to those first 200, I'm sure that there have been some other ones that were kind of uh, duds. But even in my worst sermon, even in you know sermon number one, the congregation did not grab me and take me to the edge of town so they could throw me off a cliff. <laughs> so. So as I read this, as I read this um, lesson today, I think to myself of, um, uh, you know, what am I doing wrong that people haven't tried to kill me? Um, the, uh, there, there's another writer, um, uh, Tom Wright. Uh, he's a, a former bishop in the Church of England. He was the Bishop of Durham. And uh, he was talking about once how, how um, wherever Paul went, there were riots. But wherever he went, they served him tea. And he thought something is probably wrong with this picture as well. So, so I think that the reaction that uh, a congregation has to your message may not be the best way of of judging whether it's whether it's a good sermon or not. Um, so the question is is um, uh, why did they riot? And and that that's a real question for us today um, because what would it take for people to riot? Um, uh, you know, I think I think today. A lot of people today are not really um, looking at religion as something you riot over. Now, I'm I'm only speaking to the United States. I don't have any contextual awareness of what it's like in other countries. But you know, in in the the United States in the 21st century, I don't see a lot of rioting over religious matters. Um, you know, I, I, there there was a, a movement about I don't know 15 or 20 years ago. There was the rise of something called the celebrity atheists, people like uh, Sam Harris and Richard Dawkins and uh, Christopher Hitchens, and and they they got some uh, traction, I guess, culturally uh, because they were very opposed to religion. They said they said God is not good; that religion poisons everything. But but even they didn't start riots. They wrote books and gave lectures. And, and I just think to myself, what, what does it take to cause riots? And, um, maybe that's just, that's just my perspective, but, but I get the perspective that most of the, most of this society is kind of indifferent to religion. They have classified religion as, as a personal belief, that it's something, you know, everybody's got a belief system. Maybe you're a Christian, or maybe you do yoga, um, maybe you, you know, practice mindfulness, maybe you go up and, you know, look at mountains and are, you know, awestruck. But that's, that's you do you. That that's really the way our society seems to, seems to look at religion. And so the, the question is really, what would it take to provoke a riot in today's society? I'm not sure what it would take. That's, that's my perspective, at least, that, that wherever I go, they serve me tea pretty much too. And, and, you know, I don't know what your perspective is. You know, and so if, if you're following along in the outline, our first question is really, what do you think? Wherever you go, in the area of religion, people, how, how do people react to your, to your religion? 
do they, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming no one in here has riots, but, but how do people react? Do they serve you tea? Do they cause riots? Is something in between, something else? So take a moment just and think what it is that, how, how do people react to your faith or lack of faith? This is something that, that, uh, people who are, uh, yoga practicers or mountain climbers or whatever else can also fill in. So um, uh, our reading um, kind of picks up in the middle of another story. Um, if you were here last week, you heard Jesus has just preached um, a sermon in his hometown, his hometown of Nazareth, and um, uh, he has um, he has uh, read from the the book of the prophet Isaiah, and he read um, the the passage where it says that uh, the Lord has anointed him to uh, proclaim uh, good news to the poor. Recovery of sight to the blind, uh, the the uh, to to uh, release to the prisoners and and um, liberation from all who are oppressed. And Jesus said that that scripture, the the proclamation of the year of the Lord's favor, had been fulfilled in their hearing. Jesus said that that was about me. So this, yes, that is the um, that is the the passage that Jesus quoted. And then he said that that. That prophecy had been fulfilled in him, and we pick up things in verse 22. So everyone was raving about Jesus, um, and uh, they were so impressed by the gracious words flowing from his lips that that they so so it wasn't that the sermon was no good. They they liked the sermon, uh, but but. As we as we heard, they're about to run him out of town to try and kill him. So um, right now they're saying, "Oh, that's great," you know, and and um, they're saying, "You know, local boy makes good." This is Joseph's son. We knew him back when he was just this tall. That that's kind of the perspective they're taking. Is what a, what a great little sermon that that is. Um, but Jesus doesn't do what I would do, which is to say, you know, they're eating out of my hand. I'm going to. Uh, to pray and then we'll sing a song and we'll all go home. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't leave well enough alone. Instead, Jesus says, verse 23, he says, undoubtedly, you will quote this um, uh, proverb to me, this saying to me, doctor, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we've heard you did in Capernaum. Now, I don't know how Jesus knows this. He says, undoubtedly, you will quote this saying to me. So um, I don't know. How? I mean, maybe, you know, he's Jesus, maybe he read their minds. Uh, or maybe he just read their faces. Maybe he looked at them and said, yeah, I see some, some, uh, uh so, something else there. Or maybe he's heard rumblings from his family. His family lives in, uh, Nazareth. Maybe they said, hey, you should be aware that, you know, those people there, you know, or whatever. Maybe he's gotten some inside information. But, but what is, what is notable is nobody challenges him on this. Nobody says, Jesus, you're all wrong. That's not what we're thinking. They they react to what he says. So so Jesus says, undoubtedly you'll say, you'll quote this saying to me, Doctor, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we've heard you did in Capernaum. We've heard you've done miracles elsewhere, that you've been this this wonder working, traveling um, rabbi, and we want to see some of that ourselves. Do that here. And Jesus says, I've got a proverb for you. No prophet is welcome in the prophet's hometown. 
And that was a proverbial uh, saying in that culture. And it was because in, in, the, in the Hebrew scriptures, so many of the prophets had bad experiences. Not all of them. You know, the nature of a proverb is it's not a promise. It's not a guarantee. But more often than not, that's the way things work out, is that uh, if, if you think of the history of the prophets in in um, Israel, most of them were not welcome in their hometown or probably in their home country. And um, he gives some examples. He says, I can assure you there were many widows in Israel during Elijah's time. Thank you. Um, when it didn't rain for three and a half years and there was a great food shortage in the land. Lots of widows all across the country, but Elijah was sent to none of them but only to a widow in the city of Zarephath in the region of Sidon. So uh, Elijah is ministering in in the kingdom of Israel, so the northern part of what we would call Israel today. So so he's there, and he is sent to the region of Sidon, which is up in what is nowadays Lebanon, so even further north. So he goes out of Israel even further north to to this uh, uh, other place, this this place of uh, called Zarephath in uh, Sidon, and he he um, helps out this widow there, um, and not all the widows in Israel. And he gives another example: his successor Elisha. He says um, he says uh, there were also many persons with skin diseases in Israel during the time of the prophet Elisha, but none of them were cleansed. Instead, Naaman the Syrian was cleansed. So he's quoting the Hebrew scriptures, and in both cases, the reason is because um, the prophets were unwelcome. That the king the king either uh, didn't see them as a prophet, or in in, in the case of um, Elijah, the prophet, he saw him as a prophet and a, a, a danger. So neither one of them was welcomed as a prophet. And so Jesus is saying, this is the way prophets are usually treated. And when they heard this, everyone in the synagogue was filled with anger. They rose up and they ran him out of town. They led him to the crest of the hill on which their town had been built so they could throw him off the cliff, but he passed through the crowd and went his way. Now, we don't know what Luke means by that. Is he saying that, you know, Jesus kind of vanished, you know, they're holding him and then he let, you know, he's gone? Or did he just kind of slip through the crowd because there was some confusion? We don't know. But whatever it was, it's probably a good thing. I mean, this is his hometown. Imagine if they had succeeded, right? I mean, just seriously, you, you live in Nazareth. You're part of the crowd in the synagogue that day. You successfully kill Jesus because he's, he's upset you. And then you see Mary in the grocery store. It's like, that would be very awkward. So, if nothing else, we can be glad for those people in Nazareth that they, that they didn't succeed in killing Jesus. But it raises the question, why? Why? You know, because our culture has, has taught us so much that riots aren't something you have. You know, if somebody says something in a, in a, in a church service, in a synagogue service, it's not going to be something that people get so upset that they run him out of town and try to kill him. Why would they do that? Well, I think part of the reason is, is that Jesus is, is in his hometown and there's jealousy. If you picture, if you picture a, a two-year-old, right? The, the family's about to have a baby and there's a two-year-old and he's got a lot of adjusting to do. That, that baby now suddenly is going to have a rival for mom and dad's attention. It's like suddenly he's no longer the center of the universe. There's now, you know, he's been decentered and, and he's trying to figure that out. And because he's a two-year-old, he's not very good at it. Now, uh, you know, parents usually plan for this and they do things to make sure that the, the two-year-old is not, you know, a permanent uh, opposition to this new state of affairs. But I mean, there's probably just some jealousy that, that Nazareth is saying, wait a minute, you grew up here, you know, you belong to us, you know, 
You're, you're our thing. What are you doing having miracles over in Capernaum? And I think that that's part of it. Um, and, um, I think, uh, even more than, than, uh, that, that kind of, you know, cross town rivalry sort of thing, there's, uh, that, that's, that's an irritation. You know, what, what are, you know, are we chopped liver? Why, what's wrong with us, right? But then Jesus uses these examples, both of which talk about foreign countries, right? He's saying, he's saying, not just Capernaum, which is just, you know, a few miles away, but whole different countries. God cares about people in whole different countries too. And that's, I think, where the irritation becomes rage, and so they try to kill Jesus. And I don't think that that's really where churches are at. You know, I've I've been in a number of churches, and usually what I've found is that churches are welcoming to people. You know, sometimes we're not good at it. You know, maybe practice makes perfect and we need to do more of it, but but um, but that's a function of how many people come to your church. You know, it, it's hard to wel- you know get good at welcoming people if you don't see a lot of people and kind of a chicken and egg thing there. But but I th- I don't know any churches that kind of say you know we've got enough thanks go go to some other church. Mostly churches are pretty welcoming places. Um, that's that's been my experience at least. So I don't think we have that that jealousy. The two year old you know baby jealousy. So I don't think that's the reason we don't have riots. I think the reason we don't have riots is because, because we, we disbelieve in a different way. The, the, the congregation there in that, in that church that day, they couldn't believe that Jesus was there to save the whole world. I mean, they knew it at some level, but they didn't really. It wasn't, it was something that was, that was, um, maybe, in their head or in the back of their mind, but it wasn't something that was really a gut feeling. Even though that this was the way Jesus described himself. He said he is the bread of God who uh, comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He said uh, to the people again, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me won't walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He says he's the light of the world. Jesus understands his ministry as being a ministry to the whole world. And this is really in keeping with all of the the thinking of the people of God, um, that that from the time of Abraham, God had described uh, what he was doing with Israel as a blessing for the whole world. All the families of earth will be blessed because of you. So they knew it at some level, but Jesus is challenging their belief. And I think that we have a problem of belief too. We, We don't really believe that the gospel is for them. Not not in that two-year-old jealousy sort of disbelief. I can't believe you're decentering me. But in the sense of, really? You know, I I don't really think that way. You know, and, and, and so I think I think Christians generally act on what they believe. And I think Christians generally in, in our culture don't act like Jesus can help other people. We think Jesus maybe can help me, but why would he help them? You know, they don't have a relationship. They don't even go to church. Why would Jesus help those people? You know, and, and I think that is the real problem we have. That, that we don't have riots because we don't go to people and say, hey, 
there, there's something that you don't appreciate, and I'm here to tell you. That's what Paul did. Paul would show up in a town, and he would tell people, I have, I have news for you. I have good news for you. And either the people who heard it would riot, or the people who were jealous, he was telling those people, would riot. There were riots wherever Paul went. But where we go, there's no riots. And I think part of the reason is because we don't act like we need to tell people about what Paul said. So, am I telling you that we should, you know, go out of here and start knocking on doors in our community? You know, is this the evangelism sermon? Well, it is the evangelism sermon, but I would really discourage you from, from going around knocking on doors. I think that, that it's not about what you do, it's about what you believe. If you believe that Jesus came for the people in our community, for the lost as well as the found, then you will figure out what you need to do. Maybe it's knock on doors, maybe it's something else. But I'm, I'm not saying just go put flyers on people's doors or their windshields. I'm saying, do you really believe in your, in your heart of hearts, do you believe that Jesus came for those people, whoever those people are? That's what Jesus told us to do. He said, I've received all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. He said, of all nations. Jesus, this is what Jesus has commissioned the church to do. And so the question is, do we really believe what he said? And so if you're following along in the program, the second point is, Jesus saves the whole world. And that leads very quickly to the next point, which is, the good news is for you, but it's not about you. The good news of Jesus is for the whole world. So, do we believe it? Do we act like we believe it? Do we believe that the good news is for everyone? Because if we did, wouldn't we act that way? Well, I have an application. You know, this is not just kind of a, how do you feel about that? I have an application. Because we're Christians, we believe in spiritual disciplines. We believe that we are growing day by day into the image of Christ. That that more and more, we become conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And the way we do that is through spiritual disciplines. That we grow, that there is a, a set of practices we can do um, Methodists call them methods, I guess, but um, but there is this idea of practices that help us to grow in in Christ likeness, and so we do prayer, we we uh, read the Bible, we attend uh, worship either online or in person, we 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 gather with other Christians, we do the things, the the spiritual disciplines, in order to get better at becoming more like Christ, that we, we believe that God works through that process. And so I want to give you a spiritual discipline that you can act on that I believe will grow your own belief. And it goes like this. Listen to people. Listen to what they say. And if they tell you they're having troubles, think to yourself, Jesus came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, that 2022 is the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus came to proclaim 
release to the captives and liberation to the oppressed. And so listen to people. And when you hear, I'm going to give you a magic phrase, and when you hear it, perk up. When you hear someone say, it's been hard, say to yourself, but this is the year of the Lord's favor. And say, Jesus came for people whose lives are hard. And when you hear that, you will know, oh, this is somebody that Jesus came for. And I've even got something you can say then. When that happens, say this. Well, I'm a Christian, and I believe that Jesus came to help people with problems like yours. And then I would encourage you to say, can I pray for you right now? And they will probably say yes. They may riot. There's precedent. But they probably won't. They'll probably say yes. And they'll probably thank you. Now, they may get the answer to that prayer. uh, Particularly if you go on praying for them after you finish. If you continue to bring that before God and say, I'm still bothered by that person. And I'm going to keep asking them, Lord, how you're doing. (laughs) But that's really up to God. Whether they ever become Christians, whether they ever darken the door of a church, that's, that's not what we're about. All God is asking us to do is to believe the thing that that congregation in Nazareth had so much trouble believing. The thing that, from what I can tell, Very few Christians act like we believe. And it is the idea that God is for those people, those non-churchgoers, those, those other people, whatever other may be, whether they're, whether they're on the other side of the country, whether they're on the other side of town, whether they're in that house down the street, or whether they're in your own house. God came for them. And so as a spiritual discipline, listen. Listen for an opportunity to let them know that this is the year of the Lord's favor and Jesus came to liberate the oppressed. Imagine, imagine, don't imagine riots, but imagine what it would be like if Christians were known as the people who did this, who, who acted in the belief that, that what they had was really something that would help other people. That, that what we know about Jesus and God is something that would help all the people of the world. Let's pray. Loving God, wherever Paul went, there were riots, and wherever I go, they serve tea. Lord, let me make the most of those opportunities. When people serve me tea, let me listen. Let me hear what they're dealing with. And Lord, where there is pain and hardship, let me be a voice announcing the good news of your love. If I lack the courage to face riots, Lord, at least give me the courage to do this. I pray it through Christ our Lord. Amen.